turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. For the next hour, we'll be talking about volatility in markets. And boy, do current events sure bear that out with lots of news regarding banking failures and banking challenges. You can get a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team by setting up your appointment online. Call 614. Well, actually, to do it online, you would go to aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And to accomplish it, Via the phone, you'd make your appointment by calling 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. So, Josh, I know you were out of town a little bit this week, and I'm sure you were following the headlines. We got a chance to talk for our normal Monday segment on Wednesday, and we were talking about Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. Banks have been in the headlines. Just long view of what's gone on, what comes across your thought process as you contemplate the news of the day. Well, it looks like there's going to be some other bank mergers, or at least that's what we're predicting, is that there's going to be some more mergers. And it kind of feels, or you're seeing headlines of it, feels like 2008, 2009 all over Mm -hmm, again. mm -hmm. I wouldn't reach that far, but there's certainly some banks in trouble, and we saw that uh, this week. And I think it it really shined a light on just how strong is the banking system in the United States. And I think what we learned is that those margins that bank operate, banks operate off of are pretty darn small. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have a run on the bank or you have a bunch of people cash in, that's a bad thing. So let's kind of revisit what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. First, on average, if you look at the, uh, you know, your regional bank, on average, those banks have about 80, 85 percent of their depositors are underneath that FDIC limit. $250,000. $250,000. However... You look at Silicon Valley Bank, it catered predominantly to the tech, I mean, think Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. So the technology companies, startups, these really, uh, you know, mezzanine type financed companies that are, I would say, large in part heavily leveraged. And I would, you know, we don't know the exact statistics, but I've seen somewhere between 85 and 95% of those depositors were over the $250,000 limit. You think of companies like Roku had... Uh, the better part of $500 million at at that bank. So one, you know, while this is a terrible thing to have happen, it is kind of an anomaly situation as far as banks go. So I I wouldn't panic too much just yet, but, but what caused them to, to crash? If that bank takes in, remember they used to be called savings and loans. They're taking in savings. They're turning around and loaning that money out or investing that money in long-term bonds. Mm Mm-hmm. And Silicon Valley was no different. So they started 
taking in deposits and then investing those dollars in long-term bonds or long-term notes. Is that because long-term bonds and long-term notes are perceived to be low to no risk? Is that why they put them in those uh, venues? Well, they're definitely investing in high-grade bonds or even municipal bonds through the federal government. And those are deemed to be low risk because there's very low risk of creditworthiness. In other words, those bonds aren't going to go belly up and you're going to lose all your money. And the longer the bond duration, at least over the last several years until very recently when we've gone to this inverted yield curve, you could get more interest on long-term bonds. Sure. So it made sense to hold them as long as possible. There is one risk on those bonds, though, and that is as interest rates rise, if you need to cash out of those bonds early, well, then you got to sell the bond at a loss. And the reason for that is very logical. If you bought a 10-year bond that was paying 4% interest, and now new 10-year bonds are paying 5% interest, and you're only two years into your 10-year note, and you want to get rid of it, who's going to pay the exact price that you paid no, for it? be uh, silly. They can get it the same rate somewhere else. Or, or, or they a get a better, a better rate somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened was these technology companies are starting to struggle, as they oftentimes do during economic hardships. They say, we need some cash. Let's go to the bank and get some cash out. And when you think about a bank that's a $200 billion bank, and all of a sudden, you know, billions of dollars start leaving the bank, that creates a big, big problem. And they have to start selling bonds at loss. And then once they start selling, well, now it turns into a snowball. And that's yeah. exactly what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Okay, so did Silicon Valley Bank make a mistake in the ratio of its uh, depositors who were above that $250,000 limit? Should they have said in the middle of that process where they were getting lots and lots and lots of tech companies putting their money in Silicon Valley Bank, hey, this is a bad thing for us. We need to, I mean, does a bank ever say, sorry, we can't take your money or we need to find in, uh, depositors of a different kind of uh, kind of ilk? Well, banks certainly have the ability to do that. And if you look at certain rates, you'll notice, say, you can buy a CD that's in this enhanced rate, but we only allow up to 25000 mm -hmm. or something. They have the ability to do that. And would that have been the answer? Maybe, maybe not. I think the bigger thing that was exposed here is, did we take too much risk in an environment where it looked like inflation was definitely around the corner and interest rates were going to start having to be raised by going into long-term bonds to try and increase our yield? Where maybe they thought that was a reasonable risk that they could assume, and it came back around to bite them. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. The show will re-air tomorrow at noon. We would love for you to take advantage of the free consultation at Aptus. Set up your appointment online, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. While you're there, subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel. You'll get content uh, notified. You'll be notified when content is posted, and you can digest that content in smaller doses, take notes on it, share it with friends. You can also make your appointment for the free consultation by calling 614 917-1040. Aptus Wealth is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, not far from the 23270 interchange. Okay, is this something that we should have? they should have seen coming? There has been some criticism levied at two different groups. Number one, the bank, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, the banks that failed or are failing. Number two, at bank regulators. I mean, you have overseers in the banking industry to say, hey, wait a minute, your balance sheet doesn't look good to us, or... Uh, oh, by the way, uh, the federal government is spending X, American Rescue Plan, Inflation Reduction Act, Student Loan Forgiveness. You'd be wise to plan for some inflation coming. We've had pretty regular rate hikes from the Fed over the past year. Or were they leveraged in a situation where it was a problem they couldn't fix or amend in the time frame they had to fix or amend it? 
Well, and then the third argument is, should the federal government, in fact, back up accounts of over $250,000, yeah. which, you know, obviously they are. They've set aside $25 billion to try and rescue out these banks. And there's some criticism there, too. Now, what caused it or what they could have done to prevent it? You know, I haven't seen their books, obviously, yeah. so I, I don't know. But if I was speculating, I would say that they probably got in too deep with too long of notes before they could get out of the way of the train. Meaning that, you know, if they were still investing in long-term notes six months ago, well, then, yeah, shame on them. Yeah, that's you, dumb. You, you should have seen that coming. But if they were holding 10-year notes from four years ago, and that's what bit them, well, then, I mean, who would have seen four years ago COVID happening, yeah. all these different things occurring that but kind of put us But should you be in a point? position sometimes of just being, like, sensitive to the fact that too many of your investments are in things that you aren't necessarily nimble at getting out of? I think, it, yes, the short answer. But in particular, if you're working with technology companies whom you know in periods of, uh, you know, recession or difficult times, historically have a very difficult time with capital outlay where they have to go get money. You think about it, a lot of these companies are heavily leveraged. They're mm -hmm. investing a lot of dollars back into growth and technology, et cetera. So if you're dealing predominantly with those companies who, again, historically need to run on the bank in difficult times, well, then shouldn't you take a different approach to how you're investing those dollars? So I'm not pulling fault away from the bank. But again, I don't want to cast the first stone not knowing what their books look like. OK, so as this concerns uh, investing and as it concerns wealth management, uh, there are lessons that individual investors, I'm sure, can learn from this kind of a situation. Well, I think not only are lessons, but it's certainly elicited a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think you can have a conversation as an investment advisor over the last week without this coming up. And the the common theme or common thread amongst all those conversations is, what do I do? Mm -hmm. If I can't even trust putting my money at a bank, where do I put it? And on the same time, I can't trust putting my money at a bank. And the stock market is obviously pretty tumultuous right now. What do I do? And then they start looking out into what's happening in the economy. And I, this is somewhat unrelated, but we'll, we'll circle it back around. I saw the other day, if you look at you know, the economy as a whole and what the United States government uh, is spending and what uh, we're spending as a country and the interest rates raising and how, what, you know, how much of our disposable income do we have to pay for things, and you start looking at things like car loan rates. And this is just a crazy stat. So in 2020, the average car loan was 32,000 or the average car was $32,000. Fast forward to today, the average car average in the United States is $47,000 and change. That's a $15,000 hike in three years. Yes, sir. Wow. Now, also what has happened during that same time, interest rates have gone from, let's just round and say yeah. roughly 3% on a car loan to yeah. at least six or six and a half, maybe seven. Well, let's do the math on that. That means that if you bought a car in 2020, your average car loan rate over 60 months was $575 a month. Fast forward to today, it's over 950 So what's happening? Now people are starting to stretch out their car loan durations. They're starting to stretch out their home loan durations. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is not only are we seeing banks collapse, we're seeing the market start to struggle, but we're seeing when we look around, we're seeing people start to struggle. Yeah. And they're wondering how are people going to afford things? And that doesn't elicit a lot of confidence when you start looking at what does my future look like? And it's pretty easy to start spiraling. And the conversations that I'm having are starting to feel a lot like that 0809, 0102, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm looking down, you know, I'm on the red, the red, I'm in the red zone. I'm looking down the barrel of the gun of retirement. I want to retire. 
but man, it just feels like I probably shouldn't right now. Yeah. And when you start to have that pullback or that, that angst, I think it really points towards, you better start coming up with logical solutions. So we can start talking about maybe some of those logical solutions. Yeah, let's, let's do that. But before we get into that, first of all, a reminder, if you'd like to sit with Josh, get to meet Josh, get to meet his team, find out. Uh, and it's really as much them finding out about you, what your risk tolerance is, what your strategies have been previously in investing. Uh, you get to know them. They get to know you. See if you're compatible together. You find out uh, where you are. They find out where you are. You can set up your consultation, 614-917-1040. You can also do it online. That is, make the appointment online, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. First of all, back to the fact that people are nervous about if I can't put my money in banks. I mean, the federal government said we're going to backstop these banks. So, like, first of all, I guess if people come in, it probably isn't what they want to hear. But so far, the answer, well, I guess it's been two answers. Number one, the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank are going to be made whole. The investors are not. Then I heard Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, yesterday on Capitol Hill, basically saying, well, we have a committee of FDIC and of the Fed and myself and the president, and we'll decide whether a bank failing might trigger a run on banks. And if we say it won't, if we don't think it will, then that's one that we might not bail out. So I get the nerves in that situation because I certainly think if you want to calm people's nerves, it has to be don't worry, everybody's covered or run for the hills. Nobody's covered. At least same rules ought to apply to everybody. Were you surprised by that answer? Uh, I am because that's not been the way of the federal government here as of late. But if you really start to think about that panic and that fear, let's look at the the budget of the United States government is about two and a half trillion dollars, mm-hmm. give or take. Right. And if we're bailing out twenty five billion dollars to the banks, we're already in deficit spending land. Now we're going to dedicate 1% of the federal, the total federal budget towards bailing out banks. And by banks, I mean technology companies that hold $500 million of banks. Yeah, yeah. So I think the real tap dance is going to be, okay, I think you should bail them out. Or it will, in my opinion at least, it will cause a run on the bank. Well, sure, it will. 100%. Absolutely. No doubt. And it will also change your belief in your, uh, your belief that banks are safe. And I think that banks and financial transactions as a whole are critical to the virility of the U.S. economy. And I don't think anybody would argue that. So if you believe that, I think they have to bail them out to some capacity. And I'm not a big fan of bailing anybody Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. That said, how do you bail them out? Where does the money come from? And I don't think that the money should come from the American taxpayer, which they've alluded that that won't be the case. I think the money should come from a consortium of banks getting together and saying, all right, we realize that clearly we have some exposure here beyond just FDIC insurance. We should start having to pay some sort of premium as a whole, as a banking community as a whole, to be able to cover when one of us goes down. No different than yeah. we do this, you and I do this with health insurance, of course. right? Right. It's we, absolutely. It's what it's about. That so was my question from the very beginning on Silicon Valley Bank, and we've talked about how they were over leveraged and they had you know a lot of money in long-term notes and the inverted yield curve came out of inflation and that's an anomaly, and I get that, but I guess I was struck that isn't there an insurance product that banks can buy to guard against, hey, we got ourselves in a bad situation. Okay, we may have to pay a higher premium. I just figured there was some way to attend to being exposed long-term because market conditions have put you in that situation. And while I'm not a banking expert, I would assume that there is. The question is, is it regulated and required? 
And if it's not regulated and required, if there's one thing that we learned from business in general is profit, bottom line, big deal, Mm -hmm. right? So if we can avoid that extra cost because we look down throughout the future and say, what is our real risk here? Let's ignore it. We don't, we don't need to worry about it. What are the (laughs) chances of it happening? Well, until it happens, you know, I don't need insurance on my house. What's the chance? I've lived in houses for 30 years. I've never had an issue. A lot of people who had floods in this past big rain are wishing they had bought flood insurance a long time ago. Right. So I think this is one of those types of scenarios, unfortunately. Yeah. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Take advantage of the free consultation, 614-917-1040. It's a good time to uh, see where you are, take the temperature of your retirement, the balance, and not just the amount you have, but like what are the weightings of where your uh, money is and understand things because it's a very volatile time. We certainly saw that this week. The Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show airs at noon tomorrow on the replay. Catch Josh on Money Monday, 1230 Monday afternoons on the Bruce Woolley Show on 98.9 The Answer. Okay, so adjusting, taking that temperature. It's a good time, I think, for people to realize that there is not just volatility, but extreme volatility. Banks failing, that's, a, that's an extreme situation. And while it has made people nervous, because when you accrue uh, savings and investments over time. You want to make sure that they don't just go poof overnight. Uh, what kind of things uh, should people be asking themselves or what kind of things should they be thinking about to adjust so that you come through this situation protected to the degree that you can be protected? Well, one, I think you need to do something. And what we're seeing statistically is people are not doing much. Matter of fact, I would say large in part, people are going the wrong direction. And I'll give you some statistics on that. Uh, the first thing that you would want to do in any time period where inflationary times, recession, all the negative stuff we've been talking mm-hmm. about looks like it's definitely looming and, and probable. Um, you should certainly try and limit your giant expenditures. You know, going and buying that, uh, you know, maybe reaching a little bit to afford that car that's a little bit past your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, you should try and limit those as much as you can. However, if you recall from our conversation just uh, maybe a week or two ago, uh, millennials and Gen Zers oh, yeah. are spending at a much higher clip than what they have before. Yes. So there's always a concern about people starting to saddle themselves with additional debt, making their monthly requirement go up rather than down. That's something you should try and avoid. Um, I'm not telling you to live you know, under a rock, but just try and pull back a little yeah. bit. Number two would be increase the amount of an emergency fund that you have. Don't decrease it if you can avoid it. Increase it. So start saving towards that liquid cash in the case of an emergency. Now, again, hate to be the bearer of bad news, but statistics do not point in that direction. If you look at uh, emergency funds as a whole across the United States from 2020 till today, 50% of Americans either have less in their emergency fund or zero in their emergency fund compared to what they, and these are people that had one before Mm. uh, back in 2020. And only 25% of Americans as a whole, have increased their emergency fund position. Now, that could be representative of the fact that, you know, listen, inflation is high. Yeah, People simply don't have the money to save. But those would be two things where you can start to kind of claw back some control, at least build a safety net. Now, where do you put that money? Well, you want to be a good steward of that money and make sure that it's earning an interest rate because just simply having cash in an inflationary time is kind of like chasing your own tail. You're saving money and it's worth less every day. So, Make sure that you're getting a significant interest rate. And what would be significant in today's market? If you're not at least getting three, three and a half percent in your savings account, you should start looking around. There are better options than three and a half, but you should certainly be getting at least three. Now, 
we, we say that you should put some money in, in a savings account, which usually is, you know, a bank, right? So how do you do that? There's a couple ways you can do that. One, if you're one of the fortunate people that have more than 250000 I wouldn't put it all in one bank. No, I would spread not. it around. Um, what is an easy way to do that, particularly with your, your, your longer-term kind of emergency fund savings? When you think about emergency funds, think about I have my checking account, then I have my savings account, and then maybe I have some CDs or money markets that's kind of like that tertiary third plan that of, of attack. That money, we need it available, but maybe we don't need it available for three to six months because we already have some other money. And that emergency fund statistically should be about three to nine months worth of income. So what can you do with that? There's a couple ways. If you enjoy driving or looking up stuff online, you can set up a bunch of different bank accounts online. Uh, That's fine. Or you can drive to a million different banks and open up all these different accounts and try and keep track of them. There's another way. If you go to uh, many of the brokerage houses, I think Schwab, you know, UBS, TD Ameritrade, all those different companies, you can open up an account there and then spread the money around amongst different banks via one account. That makes it a little bit easier when you say I can put, theoretically, I could put a million dollars in Schwab, for example, and buy 10 $100,000 CDs through one account. Those individual banks provide their individual FDIC insurance. So Mm -hmm. then that's a way to kind of spread it around. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to kind of go through that. But the takeaway is make sure you're getting that emergency fund uh, increased. Lower your bad or terrible debts like, you know, you shouldn't. This is not a time to finance a couch over the next three months. You know, maybe pull back on that. This is something that you have been through a things like it before you have done this for the better part of two decades. Um, a lot of criticism of the banks who have found themselves in peril is that they didn't adjust. And I wonder as we date back uh, a month, a year, uh, how much have you been thinking about these possible scenarios? How much have you been putting in place the foundation so that when this extreme volatility arrives, you've, I don't want to say bulletproof, but you've protected yourself, you've adjusted, you've um, been prepared for the things that we've seen coming. Yeah, I think, you know, there's no substitute for experience in times like these. You know, you're right. I have been through 0102. I have been through 0809. Um, and, and here we maybe go mm-hmm. again. And through all of those, I can tell you definitively that in every instance, in 0809, um, you know, everybody was walking around in neighborhoods going, how is this working? People are buying houses they can't afford on loans that have, you know, three-year balloons and all this crazy stuff. No collateral, no No money No collateral, no dock loans. I mean, it just seemed very obvious to everybody. But the question was, what do you do? Or maybe I'm just too naive to recognize that this is just the way the world works. You go back to 0102 and you look at it and you go, man, there's a heck of a bubble here. The S&P 500 is largely comprised of technology companies and these price-to-earnings ratios are off the charts. You're talking about, you know, sometimes... You can't even calculate them because the company doesn't even have earnings. So how do right. you calculate a price to earnings ratio? Yeah, we got companies not making any money and they're selling for crazy prices. And people couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So, you know, to the outsider looking in, you'd go, this doesn't make any sense. You know, to Warren Buffett, for example, he said, I'm not investing in any technology companies. I can't understand any of this stuff. Yeah. Well, that saved him dramatically. So fast forward until today, what were some things that we started doing? When inflationary times are never, well, I wouldn't say never, but very, very rarely a good thing. So at the beginning of the year, actually at the end of last year, we started doing some things to hedge positions You're inside talking about of our, your firm. our firm, yes. hedge our positions inside of stock portfolios. We started to do some things where we said, maybe we should start leaning a little bit more towards value stocks as opposed to growth stocks. There are things that you can start doing 
to reduce, not eliminate, but reduce your risk in stock and bond portfolios. There are other things that you can do to, in fact, eliminate your risk entirely if that's something that you want to do. And think of, you know, annuity contracts or buying into, you know, CDs or or uh, there's even, you know, what we call like equity linked uh, positions that mm-hmm. are available through banks and, and through investment banks, et cetera. So there's plenty of things that you can do. You just have to have the wherewithal to not put your head in the sand and say, it'll probably be okay. I don't want to do anything. Um, and, and while it probably will be okay and you cannot do anything, the question is, can you tolerate the ride? So I have no doubt that if we're looking at this 20 years from now, you go, well, you know, remember that crazy time back in 2023? You'll be fine. The question is, can you stand the heat over the next 10 or 20 years to stay the course? Yeah, that is the question. And that's why when Josh and his team have that consultation with you, a big part of it is gauging your ability to uh, handle, to kind of process volatility and risk and all those kinds of things. So the consultation can be set up by calling 614-917-1040. Make your appointment. Do it online. Aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. We're going to talk more in the second portion of the show about adjusting to these volatile times that we find ourselves in right now. We appreciate your time today joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Aptus is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. It is not far from the 23270 interchange. These are very volatile financial times. You need a financial representative who is a fiduciary, somebody who is legally obligated to do what is best and right for you. I'm an Aptus client, and I sat for the free consultation. My wife and I really were enlightened. We gained peace of mind from it. We hope that you will take advantage of it as well. Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show airs at noon on Saturday on the replay, 7 o'clock on Friday, and catch Josh with me on Mondays at 1230 on 98.9 The Answer for Money Monday. You can set up your free consultation by calling the office, 614-917-1040. You can also do it by making your appointment online. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You'll find a lot of great information there, as well as how to become a subscriber to Josh's YouTube channel, where a lot of the concepts we talk about here at length are broken down in smaller doses. And we've obviously been talking about the bank volatility this week and a couple of banks failing, the federal uh, officials jumping into save depositors of those banks. And it really calls to mind the importance, Josh, of making sure that you occasionally do something that a term you've used before is stress test your allocations when it comes to your retirement savings. And I guess in this situation, these banks did not do an effective stress test. And these are are the kinds of times that people maybe take more of a keen interest than they do on a daily basis. And hey, where is my money? And is it safe? Yeah, I, I think any time you, you reach a point of uncertainty, it's a good time to kind of revisit where you're at. Mm-hmm. And and I think oftentimes when times get good, we kind of ignore it because everything's going good, so why uproot the apple cart? And then when times get really bad, we go, well, I don't even want to look at it. Hmm. Or, um, you know, now's not the time to make adjustments because I'm going to wait until it gets back to where it was. Yeah. When there are some things that you should be doing, regardless of whether or not things are good or things are bad, you should be... Uh, doing some keen investigation as to how do these things relate to you. And I think we kind of lose sight sometimes of this investment portfolio. We like to use these big words, portfolio or our you know investment mix or our investment strategy. The purpose of all of this is usually 
to provide income when you no longer work. Mm-hmm. So all arrows should point towards how am I going to get to income when I retire when I'm not working? Or if you have another goal, it, all arrows should point towards whatever that goal is. And if you're thinking about, okay, so what can I do? Um, and, and maybe you're at this point in your life where you're 55 years old or 59 years old and you know, you're kind of getting down that to that five yard line of retirement. You say, sounds great, but I'm in a 401k. That's the, you know, that's the lion's share of my investments. What can I do? I have, I'm looking at my 20 options and my mm-hmm. 20 options are stocks, three bond funds and cash. Yeah. So I hear you talking on the radio and there's all these strategies you, you say we can implement. They all sound great, but what does that have to do with me? Mm-hmm. I can't do anything. Well, a couple of things that you can do. Um, one, if you're over the age of 55 or 55, 59 and a half, most 401k plans, once you're 59 and a half, will allow you to do what's called an in-service rollover. And what that means is, even though you're still working for your company, you can roll over a percentage or, in many cases, all of your 401k into a self-directed IRA. This is not a taxable event. You are just taking it from your company-sponsored plan into your own individual retirement account, and you can allocate those assets and invest in pretty much whatever you want to at that point. So all the strategies that we've talked about on the radio here are very much available to you. You said that's someone over 55? It depends on your individual plan. So okay. it's either over 55 or 59 and a half, okay. or maybe you can't. Okay. It all depends on what your company had set up. But for most people, if you're over the age of 59 and a half, you're probably good to go. And by most people, I would say I've only encountered a handful of times when you can't. So you probably can. Now, does that mean that you know, my company's giving me this match, which is great. I want to continue to get the tax deferral of my contributions in my 401k. You very much continue to make those contributions. Wow. You very much continue to receive your match. And then just periodically, you can take some money and move it back over into your self-directed IRA. So, you know, on one hand, 401ks are pretty good at keeping expenses really low, pretty good at doing some significant due diligence on the funds that are inside of it. Mm-hmm. In general, not all are created equal. But that's the advantage to them. And then your company provides a match, hopefully. That's an advantage. The disadvantage is limited plan options, very few fixed or hedged equity options. So if you're worried about volatility in the market, your choices are probably cash or cash. (laughs) You don't really have any other options. So this gives you an opportunity to kind of move it out. So let's assume that you have that option. And you say, you know, and the, the current economic times are terrifying me. I'm staring down, you know, I'm looking at the one yard line of retirement And I want to move some of that money and safeguard it, but I'm still contributing. What should I do with those dollars? Well, this is a, you know, a lot of people will call this in in our world kind of a barbell approach. And barbell approach simply means that rather than kind of investing everything the same way, you set yourself up in a scenario where on one side of the barbell, you have safe money. And on the other side of the barbell, you have aggressive money and you have kind of a gap in the middle. And the reason that people are starting to talk about the barbell approach again is because that gap in the middle always used to be filled with bonds. Okay. Well, now here we are in a raising interest rate environment. We just got done talking about how Silicon Valley Bank basically went belly up because of their bond holdings. Maybe long-term bonds aren't the good center of the barbell anymore, which is why it's not an even stretch. It's a barbell. It's weighted on both ends, right? So what you could do is move some money out of your 401k, put that in safer investments, and then your ongoing contributions going into your 401k. Well, we know the value of dollar cost averaging and buying shares, and eventually this too shall pass and will do well, invest those ongoing contributions more aggressively and benefit from the volatility. 
That way you don't see your account value balance go from a million to a half a million. Or as one of my clients told me, your 401k goes to a 201k. Yeah. You know, keep your million dollars invested, but then your ongoing contributions you're taking the larger risk with. That's one approach that could really lessen this volatility blow and keep your psyche in the right place. So is it accurate to say that in an environment where there is unpredictability and volatility, that there is always a countermeasure that you can take to keep yourself from being harmed too badly? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it. And, you know, we always make the... uh, the disclaimer that, you know, there's no guarantee of returns and all that. But it seems to me like in this bank situation, they got hurt because they had their money kind of in the wrong bucket. They bet long term and they should have bet shorter term. They should have seen shorter term situations coming that would have been more advantageous than longer term. Is that true for the individual investor and the clients that you have in that it's a lot of time it is allocation, not so much, um, you know, a, a situation where you can't possibly hold off volatility? Yeah, I think the easiest way to explain this is on one end of the spectrum you have, I am just investing in the most aggressive thing that I can run across, and I'm just swinging for the fences. Yeah. And then on the other end of the spectrum you have, I'm putting the money, you know, $5 at a time at a bunch of different banks, so I have no FDIC risk, and I'm just being as safe as a human can, can be safe. But in the middle, you have shades of gray. And I think this is where, you know, our industry gets very convoluted, and people are very unaware of the options that they have available to them. So let me give you some examples. If the market went up 10%, and you were 100% exposed to the market, you would get 10%. Mm-hmm. If the market went down negative 10%, you would get negative 10%. There are ways where you can take those bookends and narrow them. Move them, okay. Move them around. And there are ways to do that. Uh, let's just call them stop losses, if you will. So imagine you could go buy a stock right now and say, I'm going to pay $10 a share for it. But if that thing ever gets down to $9 a share, I want you to sell it. That's a very simplistic view of a yeah. stop loss, yeah. right? The downside of that is, well, then you're out of the stock. Mm-hmm. So there are ways where you can essentially, uh, either through an investment bank or through an insurance company or through doing it on your own, create an environment where if the market does well in that same scenario, maybe it goes up 10%, you don't get the full 10% because you're paying essentially like an insurance premium on the downside. So if it goes up 10, I don't get 10, I get eight. Yeah. But if it goes down 10, maybe I only go down two. Well, maybe that's not good enough. I only want to go down zero. Well, clearly now you're going to get eight anymore. Maybe you're only going to get seven. So there are ways where you can move those bookends to make the the outcomes more predictable. Now, am I suggesting that that is the single best way to invest for everybody listening for the rest of their lives? Of course not. But is that something that may allow you to weather the storm over the next year or two and keep you invested rather than you pulling all your money out, putting it in a bank and just sitting around being terrified while inflation just erodes your purchasing power. Yeah, and true confession, folks, that's uh, a scenario what Josh outlined is is in the realm of what my wife and I found attractive. And honestly, you know, maybe it's a reflection on uh, on my ignorance, but I didn't even know those options were out there. That's why it benefits you to go in and have a consultation with Josh and his team to find out what's possible. There might be things out there that are very possible, very doable, and you just don't know about them. There are tremendously varied investing options out there right now. Educate yourself, and what you will find as you become educated is you'll gain greater peace of mind, and that's really what I wanted when I sat with Josh was to find out, like, you know, here's where I've been, here's where I want to go, can I get there, how do I get there, and having a plan, having a blueprint for it really makes a lot of sense and gave my wife and I tons of peace of mind. You can set up your consultation 
by making your appointment on the phone. 614-917-1040 is their number at Aptus. You can also make your appointment by setting it up online. Their online address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Physical location is Lewis Center, but that's not an impediment to being a client. They do service a lot of their clients outside the area, and they do so remotely. That's very easy for them to do something they do all the time. So you used a uh, uh, phrase a while ago, like if you're on the five-yard line, you're getting close to retirement. And typically that's been somebody who's like 60, 62. They want to take their uh, investments out of uh, the market or trend some of them a little bit closer into safer short-term things because we now have an inverted yield curve. Uh, that would seem to me to be like an ideal scenario for somebody like that. You're getting a higher return on short-term stuff, but I don't want to oversimplify it. Uh, is there a downside for people who are getting close to retirement to having higher yields in the short term than the typical higher yields in the long term? Um, you know, it's just a different uh, set. Of, it's just it's a, a different, different situation, situation to deal okay. with. Yeah, but I would say that if there's one thing that we've benefited from uh, here as of late is people who were retiring five years ago, they almost had to have an overexposure to the market to survive throughout retirement because what were fixed rates paying? half a percent, one mm-hmm. percent. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could find a bond that was paying two. But when you had treasuries at less than two percent for a long, long time, you were left trying to figure out, do I just continue to take too much risk by being in the market? And then again, going back to that barbell, I have tons of risk and then just all this money sitting in cash earning nothing. Well, the good news is, look at interest rates today. We just got done talking about in the previous segment how you know car loans went from three yeah. percent to I saw mortgage rates are, are really tipping the scales at 7% right now in 30-year fix. That's, that's a dramatic difference sure is. from what we saw before. Well, let's compare and contrast that to CDs, annuities, all the different things that one could purchase for fixed income. I've seen those rates go from 1% to 5 I've seen annuity contracts, you know, let's look at one of those hedging positions, and I said, well, you can get the upside potential of the market. Well, rewind the clock back to five years ago. You'd be lucky to get half of the return of the market Mm -hmm. fast forward to today. And that thing looks awful darn sexy. I mean, you can get almost all of it um, just because of the way that fixed rates are. So, you know, on one hand, it's terrible that we're in this terrible economic conditions and it's terrible that we're looking down the barrel of this terrible inflationary problem, but that too shall pass. And it's a great time to buy fixed rates. This is the exact opposite of buying a 30 year fixed at 3%. Now you're buying fixed instruments, instruments that are really high knowing full well that inflation will not stay this high for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. They'll have to pull it back down. Well, let's hope not. I mean, there's a lot of uh, kind of speculation about what the Fed will do because of this bank situation in the past. If inflation seemed too hot, they just raise rates. Um, are they in a tough spot knowing what to do here with this next Fed meeting coming up toward the end of the month? You know, I, I talked to a client the other day and I said, this is the really challenging thing that our federal government has to play with right now is that, they really have, and I'm over, oversimplifying dramatically, but there are three things that between the Fed and the federal government they can do to help situations. When um, inflation starts getting out of control, the Fed has to start raising interest rates. When the economy starts struggling, the federal government can print money. Sure. The federal government can lower tax rates. Well, we're already deficit spending, so we can't lower tax rates. As a matter of fact, we probably have to increase them, which increasing tax rates puts less money back in the consumer's hands, which affects the stock market. Mm -hmm. We can't lower interest rates because that just makes inflation even worse. We can't print money because that's what got us into this predicament to begin with. So our three kind of, you know, one, two, three punch levers that we pull to save 
kind of run those all the way to the beach. We can't really do those anymore. So unfortunately, the Fed, in my opinion, is left with this. How do we and we've been talking about a soft landing for a long time. Well, clearly, as we look at banks out in California, we didn't land all that soft. Uh, So, you know, it's a struggling time. I think now is time to start uh, proceeding, particularly in your own investments with some cautious uh, optimism, but very cautious and start to create a plan that of if thens. We're going to do this now, but if this occurs, we're going to start making changes. So we're not just haphazardly making emotional decisions like, unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of people do. A lot of people are starting to pull, if you look statistically, pulling tremendous amounts of money out of their stock portfolios and simply putting them in cash. And that's going to be a lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas in five or ten years. Yeah, that's a bad situation to be in. And uh, what I think maybe I can underscore um I can't underscore too seldom is that a fiduciary like Josh is required by law to do what's best for you. So if you have distrust or doubt, know that legally, uh, I don't think he wants to spend any time behind bars. So he's going to do what is absolutely best for you. He's legally, legally obligated to do that. He's not the only one, but make sure that your investment advisor is a fiduciary. And, uh, I would just highly recommend him. Personally, uh, I'm a client, so there you go. And I'm not getting paid to say that. That's just what it is. Set up your consultation, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com website, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So let's talk about estate planning. I would take it this is a pretty challenging time to be planning for an estate, but to not plan is a mess, too, because I've dealt with that with my parents. So what can you tell people who... um, want to make uh, smart choices when it comes to their estate planning at a time where volatility is at a level that it hasn't been for quite some time? Well, the the first answer seems pretty logical. Make sure you have one. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd be surprised, even people who have what most would consider a significant asset base, a significant amount of stuff, homes, cars, investments, maybe even rental property, Mm -hmm. you would be shocked statistically how few have even a will, let alone an estate plan. So number one, make sure you actually have a will and estate plan. And I would say one big error that you could make would be trying to do those things by yourself. Um, and I'm not suggesting that you can't go to sites like LegalZoom.com and yeah. set up a simple will. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not a good option. What I am saying is if you think that taking out a napkin and writing it <laughs> down on a napkin while legally binding, by the way, that is actually is a legal right? binding, binding document. You can do that if you think that is going to make everything go squeaky smooth for you. Um, it's not. Yeah. No. Um, I'll tell you who it's really not going to make it sm- squeaky smooth for is the people who are left behind to sort it all out. Yeah. And to that end, I would say make sure that you're very, very specific and exactly what you want to have happen. And and I'm saying leave out as much gray as you can. If you have I have three boys and, uh, you know, with boys, uh, you know, let's say that I had uh, a Rolex watch mm-hmm. and I just leave it to my kids. Oh, boy. Who gets it? Yeah. Right? So make sure that you address who gets what when it comes to the stuff that you think will actually, people will actually want. Um, you know, it used to be with, with women, for example, most of the conversations I had was, you know, China and jewelry. Mm-hmm. Make sure you decide which child gets which piece of jewelry. Line item that out. The other thing that I see uh, sometimes, particularly in times like these, that is, is cause for caution. Say somebody's got a bunch of stock positions. Or they have a bunch of bond positions and they pass away. And in their trust or in their will, it says, I want to leave X amount to charity. That's fine. That's great. I love it. However, 
what do you have to do to give the money to charity? Typically, you got to sell said positions mm. to send them to charity. Do you want to have enough cash available for that? Or do you want to have some parameters in your trust that says, well, in a time where the economy is in the toilet and my stock positions are down 20%, maybe let's hold off until they rally before we give that money to charity. That's up to you, but just things to start to think about. And you can be as specific as you want in estate planning. So I just met with a client the other day, and in their estate plan, it says that for any child, and there's a lot of kids in this particular family, there's nine kids, any child when they get married has to have their new significant other sign a prenuptial agreement exonerating the trust. If they don't, they're out. That child is out. That child's out. Okay. So they can either, now it doesn't mean they have to sign a prenuptial agreement for their entire life. Right. Just exonerating their shares in the trust. You can be specific like that if you want. You could say, I want my kid to have access to the money in the trust, but only up to 5% for the purchase of a house. Only up to, I mean, you could do whatever you mm -hmm. want, but you have to actually go and, uh, you know, set one up. The other thing I saw, um, that I thought was you know really interesting, and I read this article called "The Ten Most Costly uh, Mistakes in Estate Planning" uh, through Forbes, and I thought it was great that I think it was number four uh, that they said you know make sure you understand how estate taxes are paid. I think this is critical, and it's the most under understood uh, thing in probably all of finance is how trusts are taxed and how estate tax taxes are actually paid. So let's cover one of those. I think everybody, you know, conceptually says, I want to have a trust because it sounds cool. And, yeah. You know, it sounds like something that somebody with money does. Yeah, it sounds right. like a way to protect your money from the government getting it or to kind of provide for your heirs after you're gone. And it does. Um, a trust do bypass probate, but so does simply setting up a beneficiary on your 401k account. So in all of uh, estate planning, by the way, you want to make sure that as little as possible goes through your will. Because anything that goes through your will goes through probate. So you want to have as much possible go directly to your heirs through beneficiary designations, all, all of those types of probate bypassing type type ways of doing things. But how how taxes are paid out of a trust is very important. In in the United States right now, if, if you're an individual and you want to get in the top tax bracket, top, top income tax bracket, which is 37%, at least currently, you have to make over about a half million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. If you're a trust, remember a trust is like a like a non-natural person. It, a trust is its own entity. If the trust makes money and that money is not distributed to an individual, meaning that let's say you have a $5 million trust and that trust makes 10%, which is a half a million bucks, and they don't distribute that half a million bucks out to Bruce Hooley, mm -hmm. then you pay your personal income taxes on it. Sure. To get to the top tax bracket, the trust needs to make less than $15,000 a year to be, get to the top tax bracket. So that that hiding like very much, it's not. So that hiding, the point is, if you have a gigantic trust and you say we're only going to distribute just a little bit out to the beneficiaries every year, note that your trust is going to get hammered full effect of the erosion of yes. taxes while yes. it's while it's growing along the way. So while trusts do some amazing things in the way of asset protection, asset distribution, controlling who gets money when and how, um, you know, even after you're gone, creating a legacy for your heirs, all those things are true. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without potential hiccups and costs. And I don't see people really address those. I see them only talk about the good things, not the bad. Interesting. Um, I wouldn't have known that. I would, uh, but, but this underscores the importance of 
uh, getting someone who knows the answers. I mean, I talk all the time about, you know, Sherry and I felt comfortable with you because you have like specific knowledge on a lot of things. But I think there are other instances where there's something that you would recommend people do if they want to get a trust. I mean, you would recommend like there are people who do that. There are people who do wills. It's really important. The fallacy that I think people make is they try to save in the short term by doing something themselves or doing it on the cheap or not getting somebody who's an expert. And the long-term consequences of that mistake in the short term are so much greater than if they would just access an expert who is out there who can help them accomplish what they're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, if, if no, for no other reason, this is a terrible way to explain it, but it's the truth. How many mistakes can one make in doing this occupation for 25 years, steady every day for 50 hours a week, right? I've seen them all. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, use me as a as a lens into you know the things that you can do wrong. Yeah, What's I will the worst be able thing to tell that can you. Happen is sometimes a very good question to right. Ask. If nothing else, you know the smell test on investments. I would say my sniffer is pretty good yep. at this point. You know, I've seen all the mistakes. I've seen the the big Bernie Madoffs, and I've seen unfortunately even here locally, I've seen a lot of uh, really horrendous scenarios where people got their money stolen. So, you know, my sniff test is pretty strong um, as to what is right and what is wrong. Um, In little things, and we're talking about estate planning, one that I would caution you on is if you get divorced, make sure you go relook at your estate plan again. I've seen that happen. It's not a good one. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, folks, I have known Josh for a long time. Uh, He has uh, demonstrated uh, clearly his wisdom to me. Set up your consultation, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. 